1: And good afternoon, everyone. I trust you're all having a great day. Well, in case you didn't already know, April is National Organ and Tissue Donation Awareness Month in Canada, and the David Foster Foundation has been instrumental in recent years in spreading the word about the importance of organ and tissue donation and letting your family know about your wishes. According to the Foundation, Canada has one of the worst organ and tissue registration rates in all developing countries, and the theme this year is get vocal. Well, my guest today is CEO of the David Foster Foundation, Honorary Colonel Michael Ravenhill. Hello. Hello, Linda. How are you? Great. I was expecting you to say good morning.
0: Well, I could say good morning. I could just say uh, good afternoon. It's wherever we are in our beautiful country, but uh, it is a beautiful morning, that's for sure.
1: It's a big, big country, and we're uh, reaching you in British Columbia, of course, beautiful British Columbia, and and it makes sense being the David Foster Foundation. uh, But what exactly is the David Foster Foundation for people who might not know?
0: Well, the David Foster Foundation started over 35 years ago um, by music producer, um, of course, David Foster, well known for um, his, his incredible work. It's basically the soundtrack of our life, all of his amazing um, uh, m- music that he's produced over the years. But David actually got a call from his mother. And you know, you always do what your mother tells you to do. And uh, David was living in uh, Los Angeles at the time. And uh, David's mother, uh, lived in Victoria, British Columbia, where our foundation started just over 35 years ago. And there was a little girl from Victoria that um, was needing a major organ transplant. But in those days, you know, we, we didn't do transplants in Canada. And so this little girl had to be uh, taken to UCLA Medical Center and wait for an organ so David's mother phoned David and said, uh, would you go and see this family? Not as a celebrity, but as um, just, you know, a Victoria boy doing what his mother tells and go and see this family and, um, and just say hello um, from Victoria. So David did this. And, you know, very surprisingly, David uh, started asking questions and kind of, trying to see, he could see that there was um, stress on the family, he could see that there was uh, just, the family just was struggling a bit. And uh, just before David left, uh, he said to the little girl, he said, is there anything that I can do for you? And he thought at the time that, um, you know, she would say, oh, I want to go to Disneyland or I wanna see this celebrity. Um, But that wasn't the case. The little girl just deadpanned David right in the face and said, I just want to see my sister. And that really startled David and took him back. And he was like, what do you mean you want to see your sister? Well, little did David know at the time, but unfortunately the family couldn't afford the airfare to bring the little girl's sister down. And um, so David said... I'm going to make that happen. So he made some phone calls. He um, spoke to one of the aunts of the little girl, and uh, the aunt and the little girl's sister came to L.A. David picked them up at the airport and then, of course, took them to the hospital where this other little girl was who was waiting for her transplant. David said when the two of those eyes met from those little girls, He said it etched in his heart forever and he said this is going to be my foundation and there will never be in canada that will go without these financial resources to keep the family together and so our foundation very simply put is we provide financial assistance to families of children that require major organ transplants for all their non-medical expenses food clothing transportation accommodations uh flights mortgage payments car payments you name it we're going to do that. We're going to come alongside them, take away their financial stresses so they can focus all their attention beside their child. And that's where it needs to be.
1: Right, because the organ donation wait list can be quite long. You often have to travel long distances. Canada is so uh, spread out and disparate. And, and mm-hmm. you know, the places where these transplants are happening are, might not necessarily be in your neighborhood.
0: You know, uh, that's so true. You know, we have uh, five uh, children's hospitals across the country. Um, Of course, the biggest one would be in SickKids in Toronto. Um, But when a family is, think about this. When a family is, their child is sick, and they don't know what the sickness is, and they take the child to the doctor. And the doctor, and they do some tests, and the doctor says, you know, it's not just a normal sickness. Your child is having organ failure could be heart, liver, lung, kidney, multivisceral, um, and we need to fly your child to a sick children's hospital and care for them now and put them on a transplant list so that we can do a transplant for them. And at that moment in time, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a father of two daughters, I have three grandchildren and one more on the way, and I can't even imagine thinking about what that looks like um, or feels like, I should say. I definitely know what it looks like because I've been with the foundation almost 30 years. But what it feels like when a, a parent is given that news, because what happens when the, is um, normally there will be um, one income that's, that has to stop because that parent has to go with the child to the transplant hospital somewhere in the country. And then the other family member, parent, will stay at home uh, with the children if they have it or just trying to keep, to keep the wolf away from the door, basically, and, and pay all the bills. Now, put that into another mag, – uh, magnify that even more when you have a single parent. Then they have to stop their work. Then there's no income. But what happens is when this scenario takes place, it doubles the expenses, but now they've lost their income and here's a stat that's just staggering and it really affected me at the very beginning and it still does it keeps me up late at night and gets me up early in the morning is the fact that 85 percent of families will end in bankruptcy or divorce if we don't step in because of the financial pressure that that family is under and it's just it's it's intense And so that's our that's what we do. We try to come alongside these families and take away as much pressure as we can from the financial side so that they can focus all their attention beside their child. And that's where it really needs to be.
1: What struck me when you were uh, telling the story about uh, how this all got started was 35 years ago, there were no transplants being taken taking place in Canada.
0: Major organ transplants. And so um, that's and now, of course, we've come such a long way. Canada is a leader in organ transplantation um, in the in the world. One of the one of the big leaders, of course, with the United States, of course. Um, and uh, but in those days, no. And so you know, you, you were flying, you know, you were flying people all over the place to, to try and get the, the, the transplant. So now it's uh, we, we're grateful because Canada has so many great medical um uh, hospitals that are actually doing transplants now so um, yeah, amazing isn't it when you think how far we've come in 35 years
1: It really really is any word on what how that little girl's doing now?
0: Um, well unfortunately um, she passed away so but um, you know you know here, here's what we say we've we've helped over 1,400 families unfortunately, um, not all of them, Uh, have survived but we try to be there um, for these families and also try to uh, be there for these children um, while they are going through this process because let me also touch on something here which is really critical that you know when the family goes through this situation we have um, you, you could actually the child could get the organ and survive but what they're faced with is maybe a family that's been fractured and it's now devo- the family has, the parents have divorced and the family is broken. So they could come back whole as in a body as they've got their organs and then they come back to a broken family. And they carry that weight, these children, the mental health side of it. Um, they carry that um, for years and years to come thinking that th- it was their fault. But of course it wasn't. But they carry that. And so, you know, we're trying to do everything we can to to keep the family unit together and save children's lives
1: my guest today on on target is ceo of the david foster foundation honorary colonel michael ravenhill will be back right after this join us for on target one hour in which linda swain examines topics that mean the most to you on target weekday afternoons at one on your vocm My guest today is CEO of the David Foster Foundation, Honorary Colonel Michael Ravenhill. And Michael, you were just outlining how David uh, got involved in all of this and how he put together this foundation. But you've been involved with them for about three decades now. How did you get involved? Well, that's
0: a wonderful story. You know, um, David was putting on in the early days in Victoria, uh, David would do these wonderful celebrity softball games and um, they would bring out all the stars. There was probably 30 or 40 stars that would come out and um, and play the sport uh, together. A wonderful um, fan favorite. And then from there, um, after that, they would go and they would have a concert and um, with that uh, concert of course they would raise money. Well at that time I had a um, entertainment and uh, production company and I was asked um, if I would volunteer, uh, help volunteer for it. Which I did. Um, I I love the cause um, and actually, everything that uh, my wife and I do is is uh, it's interestingly enough is child related. So um, maybe that started it at such a young age with my parents um, and all their um, philanthropy, we work and so forth. But so I did. I started it. Uh, I volunteered at, at that event and then continued to volunteer uh, with a wonderful uh, committee and board for many years. I was a volunteer with the foundation for uh, almost 18 years and uh, And then uh, became um, CEO um, well, actually, before that um, I was um, a board of director and then became um, the president of the foundation and then David and I took the foundation from a Western Canada Foundation to a national foundation and then um, uh, I became CEO um, in 2010, and uh, that's where we are today. So it's a wonderful ride. I tell people a lot of the time, um, you know, David has an amazing career, um, but his his passion and his life legacy that he wants to live to leave is his foundation, not necessarily his music and all of the great work that he's done with some of the incredible artists, but his whole desire is to actually leave uh, a life legacy and that's the foundation.
1: Well, it's amazing uh, work that uh, you and the foundation are doing and I was most surprised because we think of Canada as a very progressive country, a great place to live, but uh, we're not doing so well when it comes to organ and tissue registration rates. Why is that?
0: You know, that's such a great question and it's one that that I I get frustrated, I I have to admit, um, over the years because... You're right, Linda. We have one of the greatest countries in the world, and whenever there's a need, our country steps up, wherever it is. And, you know, we, we have an education and awareness. Um, I think uh, lack of education and awareness, even though there's many organizations trying their best to get the, the message out. But I, I think it's, you know, and, and educating at a younger age um, is important. You know we have we also have a we have a fractured system in our country every province has a different registry um, different way to register so it's not one uniform you know united system it's not one system for Canada for a national registry it's not one place to go and there is a lot of confusion when people tr- um, move from province to province they think that oh you know they they registered with their driver's license in one province and then they think that it follows them to the next province and it doesn't so then they have to register again and these these are things that that don't make the numbers uh, necessarily be so low but what we believe at our foundation is that if we could get a one um one registration system to help Our country come together um, we would be able to create single messaging um, which would be a great way of um, creating uh, a message that'll go right across our country a uniform message and create the uh, the message that it is so important to become a registered organ and tissue donor because one day somebody could be saving your lives so let me give you a stat here one organ donor can save eight lives and can improve the quality of life of up to 75 people. And when you, when you think about that, think about that impact, that when you do pass away, if you make that decision to be uh, a registered organ and tissue donor, think of the life legacy that you could leave by just signing up to be a registered organ donor today. One organ donor saves eight lives. Up to, could save up to eight lives and could improve the quality of life up to 75 people I, I mean the ripple effect of that is just it 's staggering to me and it, and that 's where my my personal frustration comes in is when we have an, a registration rate of on average on our country nineteen percent some provinces may be a little higher, some may be a little lower, but on an average it 's nineteen percent and you know when I first read the statistics and started researching it when you talk about our country and you know we talk about we have one of the worst organ and tissue registration rates in developing countries in the world you think wow how can that possibly be we need to do a better job canada and we need to do a better job of, of getting out and registering to be an organ donor because there are so many people right now we have over 4,500 canadians waiting for a transplant and here's something else for you, 1,600 people are added each year to that transplant list. And if you, if you t- take those numbers down a little bit, it works out to roughly five deaths per week or one death every 30 hours, all which could be avoided if we just increased our organ and tissue donor registration rates.
1: So what are some of the barriers then to homogenizing the system? Because as you pointed out, it's all uh, under pr- provincial jurisdiction, and I'm sure all the provinces want to do what's right. Uh, how can we get that all on an even <laughs> playing field?
0: Well, you know, that's, um, it's easier said than done, and um, we're working on it um, with our, at our foundation. We're working on it. Uh, we're trying to speak to each province we've actually um, invested to um, build a national registry similar to the one in uh, United States donate life America has a national registry now um, uh, in the United States in Canada we have um, just formed donate life Canada and we are working towards that and that would be the end goal is to have one national registry but I think it's working with each province as well they have their own systems and they have their own registries and in some provinces they're working very well and in other provinces they're not and um, it can it can be a you know we, we, we would like to think that there is a there's a hybrid that we start with and um, we all come together to try to build, um, on the messaging to keep a, uh, a consistent messaging, um, also to, to get rid of the myths out there, because a lot of people, um, you know, have a fear of maybe being a registered organ and tissue donor um, because of you know unfounded myths and, and just you know bad information that's out there and 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 fear.
1: And fear is a big motivator, Um, uh, you know, and it's hard sometimes when you're filling out those forms, it's kind of acknowledging, uh, confronting your own mortality, and some people are a bit, you know, nervous or squeamish about that. Uh, But what should it be? Should it be like Australia, mandatory? Should it be opt out? I think it's opt out here in Newfoundland and Labrador.
0: Yeah, wonderful question. And that, that debate continues to, to come up on a regular basis. Is it opt out or is it opt in? Which is better? Um, you know, some, some statistics show one is better than the other. But, you know, for us, it really comes down to um, whichever will save more lives is the better way and and really you know um, if you had an opt-out system I you know opt-out the registration rates uh, of course are higher um, uh, because you have to actually um, give your um, your opting out you know you have to actually sign to opt-out but it really comes down to more in education and then the system itself is making sure that um the system works cohesively together so all the provinces come together and and exchange information which which they do but it's It's not necessarily centralized, and and that's what we're talking about is how do we centralize this and make it more um, cohesive, make the messaging uh, more consistent and on point um, instead of having, you know, every province having a different message and a different, you know, a different marketing approach, which is not wrong. It's just, you know, how do we how do we? How do we do a better job? And that's really the question. And, and that's something that I constantly am um, asking our our staff as well as how can we do a better job to educate um, the general public, the, our Canadians, um, of the need and the importance to become a registered organ donor. And once we do that, and if we continue to keep doing that, we have great partners like yourself that just um, you know want to ask the questions and get the information out so that hopefully you know information is power and hopefully this will stir along um, some people to say yeah you know what this is what I want to do and I would love to be a part of the solution.
1: And let your family know because ultimately I suppose they're the ones that make the final decision.
0: You know that and it's such uh, an important part um, you know when you sign your register when you sign to be a registered organ and tissue donor um that's great we always say you know um post it if you if you want um share it with your friends tell them how what you've just done um you know becoming an organ donor and share share your wishes with your family is absolutely critical because here's a scenario um say it's a family of five and The father um, may have um, just passed away. And there's four others that are left now grieving of the father's death. And now if all of the family knew that his wishes were to donate his organs and tissue um, to save other lives, then that's an easy decision at the bedside during the most stressful time of their life um, and, and sad time of their life. But if they all don't know that, and say three of the four that are still remaining believe that that is what their dad wanted, but the other uh, sibling said, I, I don't know, I didn't, dad didn't talk about that. Unfortunately, what happens is the medical staff are not gonna go and push really hard because this is a, it's, this is a tragic time or a sad time in their life. They're not gonna make it even more uncomfortable. So they will unfortunately have to back away from that situation um, and therefore that life won't be able to um, fulfill the wishes of, of the parents. So, you know, if one person could uh, essentially trump all the other family members because, you know, if, if there's unrest there at the family at the bed, you know, when the person has passed away, you know, the, the medical team is not going to you know be pushing really hard on that just out of humanitarian, you know, just out of their um, You know, they don't want to put the family through that. So,
1: Well, indeed, because it could cause some real strife. So I suppose, you know, they just back away. But if everybody's in agreement, yes, dad wanted this. He felt very strongly about this. Uh, We think it's the right thing to do, and it it will bring some good out of this terrible tragedy that we're enduring right now.
0: Right, exactly, and and you know I I I sit with uh, many families that are going through, um, you know, the the transplant process, um, pre, during, and post, and and you know, um, I I remember one lady saying to me, she said that in her darkest hour, when her child um, had passed away, um, through an unfortunate circumstance. She said that the only light and solace that she had during that grief that she had was that she knew that her child could now save the life of some other children or improve the life of some other people. And so she said, you know, that's where she felt that if only people could understand her feeling of what she just went through and then be able to transfer that emotion to from grief to as she's living her life now, knowing that her child didn't die in vain. The child actually now has saved lives and improved lives. Um, It just, you know, I, I, I can't even imagine it.
1: And as a mother, you know, you think about other mothers and you want to bring comfort to other mothers as well. That's my thoughts anyway, <laughs> you know. Um, my guest today on On Target is CEO of the David Foster Foundation, Honorary Colonel Michael, Michael Ravenhill. And um, when we come back, I want to talk to you a little bit about wait lists in Canada uh, right after this. Got plans for midnight? Bring your VOCM along with the best soundtrack for every night, anywhere. The VOCM All Night Show, midnight on your VOCM. And we're back. My guest today is CEO of the David Foster Foundation, Honorary Colonel Michael Michael Ravenhill, and uh, we've been talking about uh, this is uh, Organ and Tissue Donation Awareness Month across Canada, and uh, one person can help to save the lives of dozens of people. It's quite amazing. So what are wait lists currently like?
0: (laughs) Well, you know, th- that's an area that um, is, of course, going up and down every year, but not, not a large amount. Uh, we're about 4,500 Canadians right now that are waiting for an organ transplant. And um, about 1,600 people are added each year on that wait list. And, you know, the wait list could be, um, or the wait time could be anywhere from um, a couple weeks to over a year or even in some cases years so this is when it's it, it, there's a there's a there's a financial component to that and a health component to that to our country because when you have somebody that's waiting for a kidney or a liver or um a heart or a lung or any of those th- that the medical system is taxed as well for such a long period of time while that family also is, um, has the burden and the stress of waiting. I mean, if you imagine that you, you're waiting on a, on, uh, the transplant list and if you think about it, it, it's, you're just waiting for that call or you're waiting for that, um, that one moment that the doctor comes in to your hospital bed, um, to you or to your child or your parents and says, we found an organ for you. I mean, I, I, I've sat with many a family that have prayed day in and day out for an organ to come available for their child and their child's health is going down and down and down. And then their child unfortunately passes away because an organ didn't come available. And that to me is this one of the saddest parts of my job and um, is that when we don't succeed and we don't find the organs for these children that we're helping, um, when we know we can, um, if only more people became registered organ donors.
1: Is it harder um, for children on the wait list? I mean, you know, children typically don't die suddenly, if you know what I mean. They don't tend to have strokes or (laughs) those kinds of things, if Mm. you know what I mean. Um, Is it harder?
0: You know, that's a great question. I I don't really know the answer from a statistical point of view um, if the wait lists are longer or not um, for children versus, um, you know, uh, teens versus adults. Um, I just know that statistically um, the wait times um, here in Canada um, and also um, in other countries uh, when the registration rates are low, the wait times are very are very long.
1: Are there, or can be very long. Are there certain types of illness that you know predominate? Uh, you know, uh, what are people mostly waiting for? Is it heart, kidneys, lungs, mm. something else?
0: Yeah, kidneys, livers are probably the the bigger ones. Um, you know, the, when you, and when you look in the spectrum of of. Um, you know, from from infant to to adult, um, it would be kidney and liver. Um, those would be the bigger ones.
1: And I guess the good news with kidney and liver is that you can have live transplants for that.
0: Yes, and what what an amazing uh, medical progression um, we have now with with you know one of the things that I, I will big kudos to um, our Canadian um, transplant. Um, Medical doctors and so forth they they're leading edge and the, and the the surgical teams and what they do is absolutely mind blowing nowadays, and what they 're coming up with and how they 're extending life. For a longer period of time so that people can um hopefully get an organ transplant i mean when you're looking at uh, for heart now it's called there's a berlin heart which is a mechanical heart that uh, mechanical pump that's outside the body and it's connected to the heart and uh you know we have some of our kids on them right now and they're in a little backpack that they carry around with them and their heart is so weak that it can't pump its own blood so this mechanical pump or we call it you know it's called the Berlin heart can actually pump the blood for the child while they're waiting for a transplant it's amazing and otherwise the child would have died a lot earlier
1: that is truly amazing and uh, I had a guest on not too long ago from the kidney foundation and was you know just blown away by the fact that there are people who are registering to donate kidneys to total strangers Uh, it, Mm -hmm. it just amazes me yeah and that is a that that in itself
0: talks about you know how amazing people are when they unselfishly say you know uh, I want to save a life. I don't know the person, and I don't care about knowing the person. I just want to save life. And so I have something that's healthy. They don't. I'm going to give a part of my organ to them. Um, I, I find that just to be probably one of the, the greatest things that mankind can do um, is, is to, to give a living, to be a living donor.
1: Absolutely. And uh, when we were up to another break, but when we come back, I want to ask uh, how people can register, how people can support the David Foster Foundation when we come back right after this. My guest today on On Target is CEO of the David Foster Foundation, Honorary Colonel Michael Ravenhill. We'll be back right after this.
0: Take a break. Join us weekdays from 1230 to 1 p.m. as we discuss anything and everything that's happening now. It's all on the table during your VOCM lunch break.
1: My guest today on On Target is CEO of the David Foster Foundation. Honorary Colonel Michael Ravenhill Uh, he is with us from British Columbia and April is National Organ and Tissue Donation Awareness Month and Michael (laughs) like all things we we seem to ask this question every single day uh, was registration affected by COVID?
0: Um, You know that's a wonderful question you know yes unfortunately it was but I think everything was affected around the world with COVID as we we have found ourselves but in 2020, registration was down 39% due to COVID. Um, so um, that's just the registration rates. And so the, the push now is, of course, you know, to try to increase those numbers, get those numbers um, a lot better, get more people registered now, and um, be able to provide um, um, a better uh, chance for those that are on the wait list, um, a survival or a transplant um, forthcoming. Uh, Who's a
1: good candidate?
0: Who's a good candidate for um, a transplant or for uh, giving an organ? For giving an organ. (laughs) So for giving an organ, you know, people always say, well, you, you know, they won't want me because, um, you know, I'm a smoker or I've drank too much or I have bad health or whatever. No, that's absolutely not the case. There are many organs and tissues that can be uh, donated to save life or improve life. You know, if you think about just, just one that you think about from a tissue, um, a burn victim, they need to go through many skin grafts to be able to be um, to be healed. So that would be one. So there is, there's no, no one is too young or too old, we say, um, to become a registered organ donor.
1: Do you need to update your registration? Let's say you register, you your twenties, you're fit, you're, um, all, all is good. And, you know, over time you might develop heart or kidney disease yourself. Do you need to update the register or does it matter?
0: Well, I guess, first of all, I would say is, please just register. Then number two would be, you know, as you progress in life, there may be, uh, you may have health um, health conditions that will stop certain organs from maybe being transplanted, but that's the medical team's responsibility, and they know that, and they would be able to assess that before they ever did any transplants um, or, or organ or tissue um, uh, transplants. So I think that um, you can go back in. You can change if you want um, on, your, on the registry. You can say that you want certain organs or not. Um, so it really is a personal choice. And that's one of the biggest things we always say is, you know, it's a personal choice to become a registered tissue donor. You can also say what you would like to have uh, donated, um, whether it's to uh, medical science or whether it's to transplantation.
1: So how do people get registered? And I suppose it's different in different provinces, and no doubt you've got it all in front of you or know how to get it, but how do people get registered?
0: Well, right now we've tried to simplify that. Um, You you can, you know, there are multiple ways that you can support our foundation, but you can also support... Uh, during National Organ and Tissue Donor Awareness Month. The first one would be go to davidfosterfoundation.com, and then you can actually click on Become a Registered Organ Donor. And there, we actually have a map of the country. And you can click on each geographical area on the country, and you will actually go directly to the registry. It takes only about two minutes to register, and together, you know, we can make a significant change if more and more people decide to do that. Um, that's the that's the first one, um, you know how they can do it. Now, David has a tremendous amount of information too about transplantation and and the stories. We have a wonderful array of stories for of our families um, and see you know what they've gone through and and uh, there's some great videos. Bring some tissue because some of them are are absolutely heart heart wrenching. Um, but also register to become an organ donor and then share your wishes, as we've talked about, Linda. That's so, so critical. You can follow us at, uh, at David Foster Foundation on Facebook and Instagram, and we continually update each month um, information and statistics and, and so forth.
1: And of course, uh, to circle round again, uh, the David Foster Foundation uh, helps families. That's that's your primary goal, I suppose. It's not just uh, raising awareness, but it's also to help families. So there's no doubt. There's people listening today who have someone in their lives who may have to face this soon, uh, or are facing it now. And what kind of help does the David Foster Family, uh, David Foster Foundation, provide?
0: Well, the David Foster Foundation uh, provides financial assistance for all families of children that are requiring major organ transplants for their non-medical expenses food clothing transportation accommodations, mortgage car payments and what um we we have a very um it's all done through the hospital the transplant team they don't phone us directly Um, we work directly with the transplant with the hospitals and the transplant teams, and assess the family needs and from that assessment we then will be able to kick in and, and help um, with their finances uh, during this time.
1: And how can people support the, the foundation?
0: Well, you can um, go on to com. You can make a donation there to the foundation to help support our families. You can actually also um, see where we're doing uh, events and volunteer your time. But the biggest thing is is, you know, we just ask, you know, be a voice. Be a voice for not just the David Foster Foundation, but be a voice for Organ and Tissue Donor Awareness Month. And for those 4,500 Canadians that are waiting for that transplant, be their voice. Because one day, it could be your own life that somebody is saving.
1: Well, um Honorary Colonel Michael Ravenhill, I really appreciate your time this afternoon. It's been an interesting conversation, a difficult one at times. Not everybody is comfortable with it, but it's important that people hear it, be aware of it, and uh, know what they can do to help. Any final thoughts?
0: Well, I just want to thank you, Linda, for what you do and uh, being in the airwaves for over 30 years. Your voice is strong and it's uh, it's heard Uh, across our country and thank you for what you do um, for not just our foundation but for those many causes out there that need a voice so thank you so much
1: and thank you once again. And uh, how fitting. Uh, I was just uh, you know, talking with David, our producer, about uh, everything that David Foster has done over the years uh, in terms of uh, music and the music musical genre. And he's been a producer, a writer. He's written so many songs. It's hard to imagine. And, uh, of course, uh, uh, as a performer himself. Uh, so uh, why not go out with a little uh, David Foster? Uh, everybody knows Celine Dion. So here we go. Um, Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll be back tomorrow.